they do wrong. And then this one is the big one. End all shaming. We are a culture that's deeply rooted in shaming people into good behavior. You cannot shame people into good behavior. What you shame people into is becoming good liars and dealing with you. You do not shame people into good behavior. You shame people and cause them to separate from you. You shame people and cause them to hide a portion of their life from you, but you cannot shame anybody into a change. So if you are a person who practices shaming people, then your practical application is to stop trying to make people feel ashamed. Because shame doesn't change anybody. In fact, shame is one of the most powerless emotions in the world. Like when you shame people, you take away their power to fix it. Because basically you've told them that they're worthless, that they don't have the ability. You, power, you empower people by saying, yes, you did this. Now how can we fix it? So those are your two action steps. What are your two action steps? What's the first one? Make a daily practice of calling out the best of the people you love. Maybe what you need to do is take a, pe- a list of all the family members. I actually have one of these. I have a list of all my family members and all the people that are close to me, and I have a list of all the things I love about them. And almost every day I run through that list of the things that I love about them. And then it helps me when they mess up to be like, but here are all the things I absolutely love about them, right? Is your turn now? Yes, I'm good. Make this confession. Say, I will be a person of honor. I'm telling you, if you'll be a person of honor, you'll start to see things change in how other people deal with you. And it won't be so much them changing, it'll be you changing. Mm-hmm. When you become a person of honor, then the way people respond to you is very different. Let's talk about law number two. Law number two is called the law of service. Say service. Service. We want to define service by by this definition. Service is the act of helping or doing work or something special for someone else. That's the thing that a lot of people don't like to do all the time. But it's the thing that most people love having done for them. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to be in a relationship with anybody, you have to understand that relationships only live off of reciprocity. It is impossible for you to have a functioning relationship with anyone if all you ever do is give to them and all they ever do is take. But it's also impossible for you to have a relationship if you are a taker and they are a taker. The best relationships are those where both people are givers where both people are looking to outserve the other person. The worst thing you can do when we talk about this law of service is get into the habit of keeping score. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Neighbor. If you're going to be a person of service. If you're going to be a person of service. Throw away. Throw away. Your scorebook. Your scorebook. Most people, listen, reciprocity is important, but you cannot just keep score. Yes. Early in our relationship, uh, Pastor Sean used to always go and get me water before bed. She would always go and get me water. And, and it became this thing, this, it's, not, it's not that big of a deal, but she would go do it. But when she stopped doing it, I was like, well, wait a minute. If she ain't going to get my water, what am I going to give up then? 
and a lot of times we don't realize that we do that to people in relationships. We like, wait, I, I'm mentally keeping score. It's that whole adage, what have you done for me lately? Listen, I want to give you two scriptures, and then I want to give you some practical application to how you can implement service in your life. In relationships, you find the most healthy of those relationships where two people or a group of people are searching to meet the need of the other person. And if you have two people or a group of people who are always looking to meet the need of the other person, nobody goes lacking. Yep. Nobody goes lacking. If, 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 I, if my job, and we have said in our marital relationship, my job is at the end of the day is to outserve her. Her job is to outserve me. Now, we don't do that by keeping score. We do that by making sure we're mindful of what the other person's needs are. And if you, will, if you can ever get to the place that you can take care of somebody else's needs and that person can get beyond their needs and think about your needs, both people come away satisfied. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it gives us a great example of Jesus in this idea of service. It says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Because that word minister there means to serve. It says, Jesus didn't come to have people serve him. He came that he would serve and that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Now, remember our definition said that service is the act of helping or doing work or something special for someone else. Would you not agree that Jesus did something special for us? Yes. The Bible says that he gave his life for us. He gave his life so that we might have everlasting life. And then in return, all he asks is that you and I be a representative of him, that other people get to experience the same life you have. Mm -hmm. That's what service looks like. Service says I do something that is selfless so that somebody else can get the same benefit I had. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, it says the disciple is not above his master. It says, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Now, you know the Bible says, and we say that we are servants of the Lord. Well, if we are servants of the Lord, then it says we are not above as disciples, as, as people under the Lord. We're not above him. In other words, if he could serve, guess what you can do? Serve. It's one of the reasons that when I talk to people about serving in church and I see people who never volunteer to do anything in church, I have to wonder about the relationship that you have with your church. Amen, light bulb. Amen. Because if, if indeed you are in a relationship with your church, then you, it's impossible for you to want your church to give you word, to give you encouragement, to give you restoration, to help you work through healing. And then when somebody says, hey, can you volunteer to come help do this one thing? You go, ah, I'm really busy. So, so, so relationships work off of reciprocity. So you have to make sure that if you want to um, grow any relationship, you are doing that because you're not just being a taker. My son, Caleb, uses a different vocabulary for that. He says, you don't want to be a parasite. Now, 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 parasites, as you know, live off the host. And here's the problem with living off the host. If you live off the host forever, at some point, the host dies. The problem with most people is they just go find another host. They never realize that if I become, we, we use the word 
we was laughing this morning because Chris said everything connected to me what? Wins. And me and Pastor Sean was saying, no, it's not just, it's, it's everything connected, not everything attached. Because connection reveals that I'm giving something and receiving something. If you just attach, you just one of them latch your owns. You know, you take one of those guys who go to the NBA, and as soon as they get to the NBA and they sign that $13 million contract, they got cousins they ain't never heard of. They got friends they ain't never heard of. Why? Because they're latcher owns. They want to see what can I get from this person, not what can I give to the person. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. you got to learn to be a giver. Yes. Yes. In healthy relationships, each party is looking to outserve the other. The goal is to outserve each other so that everybody's needs get met. Yes. So what's the practical application? If I'm not a person who, who likes service or understands service, what can I do? Number one, you can learn to focus on what you give more than focusing on what you get. You can change your focus. You can start, if you, if you gotta keep score, keep score what you're giving, not what you're getting. If you just gotta be a scorekeeper, keep, set a goal to give something, whether it's a lending hand, whether it's money, whether it's a, a, a smile, give 10 things a day. Find out what you can give to somebody else rather than keeping school with how, how much someone has given you. Can I say this? Sure. I think it's really important because I think a lot of people think they're givers and they're not. I, I think a lot of people think they're way more generous than they are. And I think that, th that this is a really good way to measure how generous you are. And like we've just been in situations with people who think they're incredibly generous and they're actually pretty selfish. And so when you're looking at the thing, really ask like, God, am I a generous person? Am I a person who looks to serve people or do I only do what's comfortable for me? Am I, when's the last time that you did the thing for somebody that's uncomfortable for you because it's something that they needed done, right? So really don't just be like, oh, I'm gonna give people a bunch of stuff they don't want. No, I'm gonna find out and really find out if I'm a generous per person and give people what they need. There, if, there, I, I look at it like this. When I ask people for help, how quick are they to help me? If they're not quick to help me, I don't blame them, I check myself. Because what I have learned is that if you are a helper, people don't mind helping you. Everybody got that friend who only calls you when they gotta move. And they only call you if you got a truck. Because they're moving to the third floor of a new apartment building. Service is making sure that you're not that person. Mm -hmm. It's making sure that you're, you're, you're not doing something only for people who can do something for you. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people don't mind giving if they think that what I give you, you're going to be able to give me more back. Sometimes giving is I'm going to do this knowing you can't even help me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Yes. He died for us knowing you couldn't have done, you could not have done anything technically for Jesus. But he died for you because you needed it. That's what service looks like. Mm -hmm. So number one, focus on what you give, not what, on you, what you get. And then number two, actually ask the people whom you love how you can assist them. Yeah. See, some folks don't want to ask because it's like if I ask, you're going to tell me I got to do something. Yeah. But 
I'll give you a prime example. Anybody ever call you, you answer the phone, you say hello, they say, hey, how you doing? So doing good. They go, you busy? Your first thought is, well, wait a minute, what they about to ask me? <laughs> oh, I know it's true because, because they go, they go, hold on, they, uh, uh, let me, let, well, I ain't, I ain't doing much, what, what's up? Because <laughs> they're trying to ascertain what are you about to ask me because I'm not sure I want to serve. So you got to be careful not to be that person. So law number one, you gotta you got to learn how to honor. Number two, you got to learn how to serve. I really like service. I know it's yours, but you usually let me do it. Okay, so listen, here's the thing about service is that everybody who knows me knows that I have five kids and I really have no interest in keeping your kid. Like I really don't. But everybody who has a little kid knows that if they need me to keep their kid, I will keep your kid. And I will keep your kid well. And I will feed them and take care of them and make because service isn't just I do this because it's comfortable and it's what I want to do. It is this thing that I say I love you enough to put myself out for you. And a lot of times people are frustrated in relationships because you haven't actually put yourself out for anybody. So no one puts themselves out right. for you. That's right. Don't start calling me that babysit your kids. <laughs> just, I mean, okay. All right. So law number one is honor. Law number two is service. Let's talk about law number three. Law number three is this word called respect. Say respect. Respect. If you're going to function in quality relationships, there has to be respect. We're going to define respect like this. Respect is high regard, esteem, or paying particular attention to someone or something. It is high regard. When you have respect, you put someone in high regard. You esteem them, or you pay particular attention to them, or to something about them, something doing something that has to do with them. That is what respect is. Respect is the is, is in this in the world says respect has to be earned, but in the kingdom, respect is given. The, 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 the problem with the world is the world says, well, I don't have to respect you until you respect me first. But the kingdom doesn't work that way. How do I know? The Bible says this. If you want to have a friend, what must you do first? Be Show friendly. yourself friendly. Be friendly. So, if you, so in the kingdom, if you want respect, you must be respectful and give respect first. Yes. And so a lot of times that, 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 that mindset, though, goes along with that same mindset about service. Mm -hmm. It's about becoming vulnerable enough to do something for someone, but what if they don't do the same thing for me? Because here's what a lot of people say. I ain't going to be no fool for nobody. You ain't going to play me. I ain't going to be doing all this for you. You got me out here looking like boo-boo fool. Uh-uh. Ain't going to happen. <laughs> And so we do that as a means to protect ourselves. But in doing so, we never display the very thing we're asking. But in the kingdom, what do we know happens? Seed time, then what? Harvest. It's not harvest, then you sow. It doesn't work the opposite way. So I'm going to give you these two scriptures and give, give you two action steps. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12. Matthew 7, verse 12. It says, so in everything due to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, it says, if you want to be treated a certain way, then guess what? Treat people that way. Mm -hmm. It says, if you want folk to help you when you need help, then you got to start helping people before they need the help. 
You, you, you got to find out what it is you can do for them rather than just waiting on people to give to you. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you. Then 1 Peter 2 and 17, 1 Peter 2 and 17 out of the New Living Translation says this. It says, respect everyone. Watch it. That means even people who have a different opinion than you have. So many people only respect people who think like them. I don't have to agree with you. In fact, I, can, I personally can think that your opinion is dumb. If I choose, but I can still respect you because you and your opinion aren't the same thing. I had to learn, my wife taught me this, that when people said things to me, I didn't say stuff like, I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And only an idiot would say and something. All, that was the caveat. Only an idiot would say that. Now, the reason I, I never meant you stupid, Sean. You the idiot, Sean. I'm saying the idea that you just espoused was that. But I have learned that people don't equate it that way. That's right. And so if you talk to people like that, then people don't feel respected. If people don't feel, feel respected, then people don't give you their best. Yeah. And so respect is one of those things in a relationship that you have to work on. Because you can disrespect someone and not even know it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listen, some of y'all, I, I was talking to one of my, my, one of my line brothers yesterday. He had been gone to Afghanistan for about 18 months. He had came back. His father had passed away. And we were getting caught up. And we were talking and all these other things. And when we got to talking, this whole idea, he, he has a friend who I guess he didn't tell before he went to Afghanistan. Well, when he got back, he tried to reach out to dude, and dude was mad at him. And I was like, why are you mad at why? He's like, I, I, didn't, get, I, didn't, I didn't get to choose not to go to Afghanistan. I had to go. But he was mad because he said, well, if we were friends, you'd have told me first. He didn't mean to disrespect him. He was like, I got a wife and kids, and I'm about to go to Afghanistan. I'm trying to get that stuff taken care of first. So you can, you can, someone can be disrespected even when you ain't trying to disrespect them. But you know what a big person does in that situation? They don't just go, well, that's on you, dog. <laughs> that, that's not, a big person says, hey, you know what? That wasn't my intent. Because if your intent wasn't to hurt somebody, what's the big deal about saying, I'm sorry? You, you should say lie in that one. You should sit in that one. <laughs> That's what our spiritual parents taught us, that if we are having a disagreement and one of us is more vested than the other, the one that's not vested should just apologize. Because if you didn't, if your intent was not to harm and someone got harmed, you're not harmed by saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to harm. But most people get indignant. Well, if that's how you feel about it, that's on you. <laughs> and then we get real raw. You got mad in them same draws, you'll get glad in. Uh. <laughs> but if you really want to salvage the relationship, there's nothing wrong with you saying, you know what? I did not mean to offend you. And then don't say this. Don't say this. Don't say this. I didn't mean to offend you, but... <laughs> but cancels out everything you're about to say. Yes. That's the yes. worst kind of apology you can give. And then don't say this. Don't say this. What if I offended you? You know you offended me. I just told you you did. So don't diminish it by saying if I offended you, then I didn't mean to. That's good. Own it. 
own it and say, hey, if I offended you. You just say don't. Say, say. That's what he say. That you tell this what he say. When I offended you, I apologize. You can say it wasn't my intent. Yep. Now, we talk about intent all the time because, I, because we, we had an issue with intent. So your intent is not what's important. The impact is. Right. Intent in, does in, not negate impact. It does not. If I go out here and hit you in the parking lot, does it matter that I didn't mean to hit you if your leg is broken? You're going to still be hurt. Impact matters. Impact matters. And what people do sometimes, they go, well, you shouldn't feel that way because I didn't mean it. Mm -hmm. No, that's not how it works. I feel that way because that's how it impacted me. And if you didn't mean to do it, just own it and fix it. The other part of respect goes like this. If you injure someone, whether it be physically or even emotionally, you then don't get to determine how long it takes for them to heal. Everybody say amen. amen. You do not get to harm me and then tell me that I have seven days to get over it. If you are serious about the relationship, then you labor with me until I get over it. Now, the truth of the matter is it takes maturity on both parts because once you've said you're sorry, I've got to start to work through that. I can't keep rehashing and holding on to it. But you don't get to tell me that you're sorry, and then tomorrow I'm like, what's wrong with you? I said I was sorry already. That, that's never going to work. It doesn't build respect in the relationship. Amen? That's good, babe. All right, let me give you these two action steps because we want you to learn how to do something. Number one, you got to practice being respectful. Watch this in your tone and delivery in your tone and in your delivery especially when you are upset irritated or angry that is the time that you are most susceptible to ruining a relationship it's not even about what you say all the time it is how and when you say it it's that, now, we're not just talking about marriage, but I'm about to talk about marriage. Listen, when you get, <laughs> when you get ready to say something, sometimes you got to learn to hit the pause button and ask yourself, if they said this to me the way I'm about to say it to them, how would I go off on them? <laughs> because that's the truth. Because sometimes we say something because we're mad and we're irritated. And, 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 and I've learned this, that really it's a self-defense mechanism. That basically I feel like the, what you have said or what you have done or what you've asked me or what you accused me or whatever it may be, it has put me on the defensive. And when people are on the defensive, they only have two responses. It's fight or flight. So either I shut down and I don't talk at all or I talk way too much and say a bunch of stuff I shouldn't say. So you gotta learn to hit the pause button, okay? If you're yes. going to learn how to demonstrate respect in your relationship, you gotta learn. Tell your neighbor, say so you gotta learn. You gotta learn to hit that pause button. To hit that pause button. Number two, you can choose to respect people even when you don't think they deserve it. Remember, Pastor just taught on that principle of honor. When you honor people, you don't you you honor them even when they don't deserve it. Because you get to choose how you treat people. You get to choose how you respond. So you got to learn to choose to respect people 
even when you don't think they deserve it. Because respect doesn't mean you allow yourself to be walked over. That's not what we're talking about. But if someone doesn't deserve respect, you can still show them respect. Yeah. I don't want to be political, so I won't. <laughs> but you can show people respect even if you don't think they deserve it. Because you can respect the office. No, but that's She's gonna go to point number four. No, no, but that's really a great point, especially for people who have a very visceral effect response to that situation. Like you still have a responsibility to be honorable and respectful, even if you don't think other people are. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. And one of the things I would really encourage you, particularly in this political climate, is not allowing yourself to get so okay with being disrespectful because someone else is disrespectful, that now that disrespect starts to ooze out into every other relationship. Because right? a little leaven. Leaven the whole lump. Right. So you need to practice being respectful. And I really wanted to hit home on this. Um, we switched our things up. So like I'm like, he didn't say the stuff that I would say about that. But like this tone and delivery is everything. And if you're a passionate person, like we're both really passionate people. And so tone and delivery is really important because one, you got a facial. Is For those of you who doesn't have a poker face. I do not. So if you don't have a poker face, your face has already given away that you aggravated and irritated, right? Your face has already... Away. Well, and it's really funny because Pastor Elwin does this thing that he just realized that and he I'm does. I'm working on it. Because if he doesn't agree with you and you're talking, the whole time you're talking, he goes, he's shaking his head. He's not saying anything, but he's shaking his head. So he's my like, boss told me I did it. His boss. So, and I didn't, and, I, and, I, and actually, I, I didn't realize, and Pastor Elwin was like, you've been doing it forever. <laughs> and so if someone is talking to me and I'm trying to listen intently, you can be talking to me and involuntarily, if y'all don't agree with you, I go, <laughs> And so in the meeting, he said, why do you keep shaking your head? I said, what do you mean? He said, my whole time doing my presentation, you were shaking your head. I said, no, I wasn't. He said, yeah, you were. <laughs> he, said, now, now, he said, now tell me, do you not, do you not agree with this plan that what, you know, you know, with the go forward? And I was like, nope. <laughs> I think we need to scrap the whole thing. I didn't like point number one. <laughs> and so now I'm trying to work on my involuntary when you're talking to me. But the truth of it is, is that you have some things like that so that when you're talking to people, like, you know, for me, like people, if, if my kids start talking to me about my tone, I know they're right. Because when people keep saying stuff to you, it's true. And you'll be like, you're like, somebody will go, well, you didn't have to raise your voice. You go, I didn't raise my voice. Listen, if people keep louder, saying that to you. Louder, right. <laughs> louder, louder than the... Than the <laughs> Or you'd be like, this ain't a raised voice, but this is a raised voice. I mean, like, tone and yeah. delivery matter. Some of y'all been there. And some of you are laughing because you see yourself. you like, yep, this how I act out. And so part of respect, which is built on to go into the next principle, part of respect is making, is if we don't want to just give you these laws and you don't have any way to practice them. Right. We want, that's why we're giving you steps so you can check yourself. You shouldn't be sitting here going, oh, I can't wait to tell my mama this is what she do. No, this is about what you do because 
You got to fix yourself because you can't fix other people, right? So then principle number four is the principle of tolerance. Mm, yes. Tolerance is, the de is defined as the ability or willingness to accept something that you do not agree with. To accept something that you do not agree with. And this is really where parents can really push their kids away. Your kids may make some decisions you don't agree with. But every time you're together, that can't be the discussion. Right, right. I don't know why you date her. Ooh, she get on my nerves. Don't bring her to the... Like, you, that's just not the way. That's Tolerance says, because I love you. I understand that you may make some decisions that I disagree with, but I'm still going to keep my love on. Because remember we talked about that? That it's about keeping your love on. And what we sometimes try to do to people is we try to chain people or control people or fear people into becoming what we want them to become. Oh, and we shouldn't do that to people. And I think that the church has a great opportunity, especially as it pertains to sexuality, to make sure that we're honorable to people. The great commandment that he gave us is to love people as we love ourselves, as we love him. So he didn't tell us that it was our responsibility to go around and pick it at people and tell them how they're going to hell and always stay in their face about that. That's not our job. Our job is simply to love people. Yep. That's right. That's right. Selah. Our job is simply to love people. And from, and from this perspective, one of the things I've never understood is how we expect to get anybody out of anything we deem a sin if we attack the people when they're in it. Because most people don't, don't take well to being attacked. Yep. You know what? I hate that you're shacking. Come on over here and go to church with me. Probably not. No, I'm probably not going to go to church with you. Right? And so... Tolerance is about this willingness to accept. Now, understand this. Willingness to accept is really different from condoning something. That's right. Once I have told you that I don't agree with whatever your choice is, I don't have to keep talking about it. I just want to say if you're a mama this hard. And I don't have to change my love for you. And I don't have to change my love for you. If, this, if you a mama, this is hard. Because mama just want to, we just like, because we know where the path is taking you. And we want to get you off the path. And we don't want to bump your head. So we got 27 examples in a YouTube video and, 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 and Pinterest quotes. We trying to do everything we can to get you off of this road. But for me, I try to work really, really hard. Especially when I'm, when I'm not agreeing with my kids to make sure I keep my love on towards them. To really be loving and affectionate to him. Because the Bible says it is the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. Yes. It is not beating people over the head that draws them to repentance, right? Tolerance gives people permission to be who they are in the moment without fear of your rejection. Now, because we're talking about family. Nobody's saying that if you have somebody in your family that touches kids that we tolerate that. That's, that's not what we're talking about. That's a crime. That we, we're not talking about that. Right. So you see what I'm saying? That's a, that, that, we're not talking about stuff. And you have to say that because we know that there are a lot of families that cover up and, and don't talk about things like that. They like, you know, just stay away from Uncle Joe at the picnic. No, if you got an Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe need to go to jail or your kids don't need to go to the picnic, okay? But we are talking about if somebody is, here's a great example. Canaan is our most social person. Canaan need more socialization than all of the Stricklands put together. 
I mean, all you take all of per day. Per day. So she want to go. She want to talk. She wants somebody to come over. And that, and we just used to be like, because we kind of a family, like, once we get home, we like, we home. And, and we, and, and, and every day, kind of like, can so-and-so come over? Can Melanie come over? Can, and, and it's all, it's new people. And, it, and, and we had to learn that that is who she is. she is. And so we tolerate that. That means that sometimes she's going to go out, she's going to have three friends over, she's going to take those three friends, they go go with another friend house, they go come back with three more friends, and then they go call two more people. And then they're going to recruit Chase and Taylor to take them somewhere, and then when she comes home, she's going to want to tell me and Edwin about every single thing they did. If she don't ask to spend the night or have somebody to, to spend the night. And we just learn that that's who she is. And so instead of trying to make her be like us, we just let her be like she is. So sometimes that means we say, listen, this weekend, can't nobody stay but one night. So pick the night. And then she'll be like, well, can I stay with somebody else other night? We're like, yes, you can, yes, yes. Like, like last night, we was having a conversation where Kanan is going to go on vacation. Oh, yeah. And everybody was trying to decide all these things she had to do before she was going to go on vacation. And I was like, no, she's going on vacation with them. She is going on vacation with them. I don't care if she don't clean up nothing. She is going on vacation with them. Because one of the things that we know is that if, she, if we don't take her somewhere for spring break, she is going to want us to entertain her oh, from the time she wakes yes. up to the time she goes to bed. She like always wants to go and be and see and do and make a musically and, and, and watch something. It's just like all the time and the rest of the family is like, oh, we don't stop moving. <laughs> and she's learned. That that means that sometimes she has to back up off the rest mm -hmm. of us. Because she has to tolerate Because us. she has to tolerate us as well. Because she's like, why y'all don't want to go nowhere? Why you don't want to do nothing? We like, we work with people all week. On the weekend, we want to sit in the bed and watch basketball. That's what we want to do. And Jordan is just the opposite. Jordan doesn't want to be with us. Ever. <laughs> All she wants to do is be in her room by herself all the time. So we have to say like a week in advance, hey, Jordan, on next Thursday, we are all going so-and-so. And she go, okay. <laughs> Here today, when we get through, if we stand in that hallway and talk too long, Jordan will be like, are you ready to go yet? Because she wants to get home so she can go to her room so she can be by herself. And part of the tolerance for this is that Jordan has actually said to us, she was like, you like people, but people make me tired. Yep. So that means sometimes on Sunday, she goes, I can't go to dinner. Yep. Like I'm tapped out. They made me talk a bunch in social, in, in children's <laughs> church. And, and this, all the words, I, I, I've used everything I have. So can you bring me a Subway, because she always asks for the same thing. Can you go by Subway and bring me a meatball sandwich back? Yes, we can. That's what tolerance looks like yeah. in a family. Yeah. It's not trying to make somebody. Yeah. Here's a good example. This is funny. Like, I read a lot, like a whole lot. Look how he acts. Yeah. He look yeah. at yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, and, and he used to, when we first got married, he would take my books and hide them and throw them. He would th he'd be like, who, who read all the time and take my books, right? Did you? I'm not, I, I, where's the lie? I, there's okay. No lie. There's oh, no lie right. 
And so, um, because he didn't know how to tolerate that. But for the same token, I didn't know how to tolerate somebody who wanted the TV on all the time. Like, all the time. I'm like, like literally, when, I, I wake up I when he you. goes out of town, I turn my TV off. And I'm just, I put all the books on his side of the bed so I can pick which one I want to read. And I read three pages here and seven pages. But we had to learn to have books and TV together. And that means that sometimes he's going to say to me, I really want you to watch this movie. And sometimes I will say to him, you need to read this paragraph. A paragraph. <laughs> you need to read this paragraph. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but really, that's what tolerance is. Right. So here's the question I want you to ask you. And I really think you should ask the people in your family you're closest to this right here. Ask them, are they free to be themselves around you? Mm. Are the people in your life free to be themselves around you? One of the things I really like about Tay is Tay is so goofy. And Tay don't care nothing about what we think about how goofy she is. And it don't matter where we are and what we're doing. If she had the opportunity for a production, for a YouTube, she really is like Kana in a lot of ways. She like, oh, let's make a video. Let's make a whatever, right? And so we just know that that's who she is. Are the people in your life free to be who they are around you? Are they having to hide parts of themselves in front of you? Because you're so intolerant. Because you're so intolerant, right? So here's tolerance. Practice giving people grace who aren't like you. How do you treat people who aren't like you? The church is so bad at this. We don't treat people well who aren't like us. Treat people, how do you, give people grace who aren't like you. And here's one of the ways you do it in tolerance is that you remember that your perspective isn't the only perspective. Yes. Your perspective may be reality, but it's not the only reality. That's right. And what you know is truth, but it's not the only truth because there are some people who are just as convinced as we are that Jesus Lord, that Jesus not. And so your perspective isn't the only perspective. Remember that when you're talking to people. Think about it like this. Whenever you're having a conflict with somebody or a conversation with somebody, if there's six of you in the room, learn how to sit in the different seats in the room. And so learn how to sit in the different seats in the room. Learn how to get up out of your seat and go over there and say, well, how could they see it this way? Help, you have to learn how to ask questions. Help me understand why you see. It's interesting. We have an ongoing conversation with our kids about gender fluidity, right? I don't get it. Fluidity. I don't get it. But when I'm talking to them, I'm really trying to understand because I understand to be able to impact their generation, we have to have some understanding of it, even if we don't fully agree with it. Yeah. That's true. And so I spent a lot of time, like in the morning, I'm picking Kayla's brain and I'm like, I read this article, what does this mean? Translate this for me. Do you even put yourself in a position to even understand the things that you disagree with? Do you even know why you disagree with them? I, and I give you a, a prime example. Someone I was talking to someone, and it was about the idea of someone being um, transgender. And they was like, "Well, if they was born a he, I'ma call him a he." And I was like, "Really? There's 
whether you agree with it or not, calling someone by the pronoun that they asked to be called by doesn't cost you anything. If you want me to say yes ma'am to you and you six foot two with broad shoulders, I'll say yes ma'am to you if that's what you want me to do. Because saying that to somebody doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to be disrespectful of someone because you don't understand it. I said before, we've talked to our kids about it. I, I don't get it all either, but I understand that just because I don't get it don't mean it don't exist. And so this whole idea of tolerance, you know, and I have to say this, and I know you kind of did, we're not talking about you uh, allowing someone to do something that's illegal or immoral around you. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something as simple as the fact that I, got a, I have a Facebook friend, and she swears that the earth is flat. I swear that it's round. <laughs> but we have come to the conclusion that I'm right and she's right. And so we just live our own rights. We don't, we, 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 we both, and we, so when she posts her stuff about flat earth, I don't go on her page and go and say negative things. You know, I don't post about the earth being round. I just don't think about it. But, the, <laughs> but if I post something about the earth being round, she don't come to my page and tell me how wrong I am. Sometimes you just have to learn to live with people in their differences. Sometimes you have to be able to agree to disagree. How do you respond when people don't think like you think? How do you respond when people dis, even in the kingdom, People literally fall out because both people don't believe in speaking in tongues. That's the dumbest thing in the world. If you believe in speaking in tongues, speak. If you don't, don't. I knew churches that split because one church said you had to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the other said you had to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's the same. And literally, there are denominations that split over that difference. Over that difference that you had to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost or in Jesus' name. So you can get into disagreements about anything, but at some point you got to decide, is it really worth it? You know, and, and we're talking about relationships. So is the, is the thing that's different in the other person so different that it's worth destroying the relationship for? And most of the time it's really not. And I will say this because I have a lot of people who um, live what we call alternative lifestyles. And so different sexuality, what um, preferences, whatever. And I have a lot of those people message me. And one of the things that saddens me the most is when one of those young kids tells me that they go home and they tell their parents about their sexuality and their parents disown them. Yep. And I just want to say to you, man, if you disown your kids over something like that, you are not representing God. That is not the heart of God. Because think about how many things God could turn us away from. That's right. I mean, think about that. If you want, I mean, if, 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 indeed, if indeed it's a sin and if indeed we all sin, then God could get rid of all of us if that was the case. And people should not. One of the things I really love about Pastor Edwin and I, we're just like, we like when people tell us they're going through different things, we like, well, we'll be your parents. Because, like, nobody should be out here in the world navigating life and their families throwing them away. Because you throw a young girl away because she have a baby or because she had an abortion. Or, or you throw somebody away. Like, just we, we don't throw people away. People aren't trash. Yeah, that's good. People that's aren't right. trash. That's we right. don't discard people like they're trash. We love people because the very person that you think is like so lost. I mean, if you had looked at the people, what they thought about the Apostle Paul, nobody could have predicted that Paul would then be used to lead so many people to Christ and write the rest of the New Testament or the majority of the New Testament. But just because somebody's in a place that's, that you think is away from God doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. So practice giving people grace. Number two, this is a big one. Check your ego yep. and stop trying to control others by forcing them to conform. Mm. Stop trying to control others by forcing them to conform. Check your ego. Mm -hmm. You are not God. God doesn't even force people to conform. And if God doesn't force people to conform, who are we to force people to conform? And this is really big in a parenting role because you need to make sure that whatever you give your kids, you give your kids. And whatever you don't give them, they know that you didn't give that to them. Here's a great example. Our kids know their cell phones belong to us. So we can take your cell phone because you don't follow the rules. We're not taking your pants because you didn't follow the rules. We're not taking your bed and your sheets because you didn't follow the rules. But we literally know a lady who got a cavity when she was 13, and her parents made her work to pay off the cavity because they were like, it's your fault, you shouldn't have got a cavity. And her ability to receive from God was so low because they literally had made her pay for everything that they thought was a mess up. So you make sure that when you give your kids something, don't get mad at your kids and then take away the stuff that you said that you gave to them. Amen, saints. Own your feelings, but don't try to force your perspectives on other people. All right, next, sacrifice. If you tolerate, you're going to sacrifice. Sacrifice is defined as the surrender or destruction of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having higher or more pressing claim. To surrender or give up to permit injury or disadvantage for the sake of something else. Here's a great one where everybody will understand. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yep, that's right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> you can't always be both. You, you can't always but be you both. just 17. You ain't married. You don't know that yet. <laughs> Come back when you get married. We'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't be both. Not all the time. If you're in a relationship with somebody, there are some times that you have to give up your right to be right in order to be happy. So if your ego is deeply rooted in being right, it's going to be hard for you to be in relationships. Mm -hmm. So Christ demonstrates the ultimate sacrifice. Christ was perfect, but yet he gave up his right to be perfect in order to transform our lives, right? Mm -hmm. People who sacrifice don't need to be right or first. Here are some action steps. Practice giving people the preference. Do you give people preference? Or is it your way or the highway? Like, do you say to people, we can go wherever you want to eat, and then they pick a place and you, like, ball up your face the whole time? Like, you should say, we can go anywhere you want to eat except Chinese. Because then now if they pick Italian, you should go and have a good attitude and give them the preference because it's not always about you. Pastor Edwin and I, we have very different food tastes. Very different. So we've had to learn to find things that we love at the other person's restaurant. Mm -hmm. We've, and then we've had to learn that there are some restaurants that the other one just doesn't like that we go with other people. We go with other people. But you get a preference. So the second thing is, oh, no, that, that's the one action step because if you do that, that's sacrifice. Practice the preference. Give people the preference. And I think it's one of those things where we laugh about it, but like, so we, sacrifice is really finding the balance in the relationship where you get a win-win. Mm -hmm. I hate this idea of compromise. When you compromise, somebody comes up short. 
But when you synergize, then both people come away winning. So I do not like going to the mall. Yes, you do. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I do not, and no matter how many you right. say I do, you don't like I it. do not like going to the mall. Pastor Sean likes for me to go to the mall with her. The compromise, or the, the, the compromise we used to do is I went to the mall and I had a bad attitude the whole time. But we went beyond compromise to synergy, which is that I can go to the mall with her, but I don't have to get out of the car. That, that doesn't bother me because if she she can go, I can drive her to the mall. I can drop her off at the front door. I find me a place to park. I get my phone with my charger and I get on Facebook and nobody bothers me. <laughs> and she can shop as long as she needs to. If she comes out and say she didn't find something, she needs to go somewhere else. I drive her somewhere else and the process starts all over again. <laughs> And she'll say, because she's been with Chris or with Tamara at different times, she'll say, hey, we're going to go to the store, but that ain't getting out. I'm not. I'm not. Because when I go to a store, I go to a store like an agent from the government. But for this afternoon, I have to go to Walmart in order to get the kids food for lunch next week. I already know that when I go in the door, the first thing I'm going to do is turn right to the fruit. I know that after I turn right to the fruit, I'm going to go down the aisle where the cheese is. I'm going to go down where the cheese is and where the lunch was are. I'm going to make a left. I'm going to go two aisles down and come straight down to where the juice is. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to go down that aisle. I'm going to skip the next aisle. I'm going to grab the de desserts right there because they're on the very end. I'm going to get them and then double right back, get the chips and go to the checkout and I'm out. That's how I go to Walmart. And if you're not going to do that with me, I'm going to sit in the car. So I don't like going to the mall. But I like being with my wife. So the sacrifice is that I sit in the car. Amen? All right. Say sacrifice. So if you learn how to do that, I'm telling you, relationships are going to get better. What we do may not work for you, but what you do can work. Amen? Yes. Principle number six. Principle number six, or law number six, is the law of mercy. Mercy. Tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Neighbor. At some point, at some point in a relationship, in a relationship you, you will need mercy. Mm -hmm. You're going to mess up. You're going to need somebody to be gracious and show mercy to you. Mercy is an act of kindness. It's an act of compassion. It's an act of favor. It paints the picture of a discretionary power of a judge to pardon someone or to mitigate their punishment. Mercy is what Jesus showed us. Yes. When he went to the cross, he displayed mercy for us. It was an act of kindness. It was an act of compassion. It was an act of favor. He literally became a judge that pardoned us. He let us off the hook for all the sin we were on the hook for. And sometimes in relationships, the best thing you can do is let folks off the hook. Look at your neighbor. Say neighbor. Neighbor. When folk mess up. When folks mess up. They know it. They know it. They don't need you to keep reminding them that they screwed up or messed up. They, they know they blew it. They, they know they did. They don't need you to keep on saying, man, you sure blew it. I, I, I ain't going to do it, but I could tell you I told you so. But I ain't going to tell you that I was, I was going to tell you that I told you so. 
No, mercy lets people off the hook. It says, you know what? I could really get you right now. Ooh, I could get you right now. But instead, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it ride. I'm, 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 I'm going to forgive you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I know you feel bad about it. I ain't going to make you feel worse about it. Mercy says that. Limitations. 3, 22 and 23 says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that you and I are not consumed. It's because of his compassions and because they do not fail. In fact, they are new every morning. Great is the Lord's faithfulness. In relationships, you got to be faithful enough to demonstrate mercy to people. Mm -hmm. People are going to need some forgiveness. And in order for people to, 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 to function with you, they have to know, Pastor says, they have to know they, they're free to be themselves. Being themselves means that sometimes they may mess up. Yeah. So that's why Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. If the Lord wasn't good to us, our sin would consume us. Absolutely. It says, but it's new every day. So just like the Lord forgives us when we blow it, guess what? You got to forgive people when they blow it. Yeah. And I don't care what you say. The Lord don't be like, boy, you know back in 86. Boy, I tell you. that The Lord doesn't do that to you. He's not bringing up your past and digging it up every single time. So you shouldn't be doing it to other people. 1 John 4.17 says this. 1 John 4.17, it says, herein is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. It says, so you have the ability to be just like Jesus. You have the ability to act as a judge and instead of imposing a sentence on someone, you actually can forgive them. We, we practice that with our kids. I can't tell you the number of times that one of us was about to beat some behind. And the other one said, you know what? Let them go this time. Hold on. Let me talk to them. One of us has rescued them a bunch of times. Why? Because you need somebody to show you mercy. Why? Because you're going to mess up in relationships. And if you don't show mercy, even if you don't show mercy and somebody tries to give you mercy, it's hard for you to receive it. Absolutely. We, we knew someone who was a taskmaster at always judging people when they were wrong. And, and, and they went through a few years and had a big fall. And it took them so long to forgive themselves. Everybody else had forgiven them, but they couldn't forgive themselves because they had spent all that time being so judgmental and hard on everybody else. If you're hard on everybody else, then you need that same mercy. Even when people extend it to you, you won't receive it. That's right. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to practice. You got to practice. Showing mercy. Showing mercy. Mercy is the result of an intentional decision not to give someone what they deserve. It's an intentional decision not to give someone what they deserve. We should be merciful to others because we have received mercy from the Lord. Most of us want mercy when we mess up, but we want to execute judgment when other people mess up. We want mercy when we mess up. But we won't judge me when other people mess up. And we have to be careful not to do that. And sometimes that happens because of the way we judge people from, from a particular lens. For instance, let's, let's say I know you, right? And I, because I know you, you go out here and, and, and you trying to go across the street and you have an accident. I'm less likely to judge you harshly 
than if some random person did it. Because if some random person did it, I'm like, they should have been paying attention. They were probably texting and driving. But if you do it, I'm like, oh, you know, it was accidents happen. It's okay. <laughs> the insurance will take care of it. Why? Because you're seeing it from a different lens. You got to treat everybody like the person that you love. Because if you do, you can show mercy that way. How am I going to do that, Pastor? Here's your action step. Number one, release people instead of holding them hostage to their mistakes. Practice releasing people instead of holding them hostage. We say all the time, my life is not my mistakes. But yet we treat people that way. Number two, don't give people what they deserve. Show them mercy. Don't give them what they deserve. I know they deserve for you to never talk to them again. But give them another opportunity. Give them another chance. That's what mercy is all about. Absolutely. You know what, though? It's hard to be a person of mercy if you're a grudge holder. If you're a grudge holder, if you need to keep that record and keep that thing going up, everything in, in your life, you really have to make a practice of releasing people. And like for me, I just always think, man, I've blown it so many times. Mm -hmm. What? No, I just mean <laughs> in general. <laughs> That I, no, I mean, but seriously, I've blown it so many times mm -hmm. and that I really try to be, I really, really try to be gracious to other people when they blow it, even when they blow it toward me. Because the truth of it is, is that just like I might could choose to never talk to you again, it's somebody who could choose to never talk to me again. And we often engage in relationships and only think about what we have the right to do to other people. And we don't necessarily think about what other people have the right to do to us because we really do want mercy when it's us, but we want execution and judgment. Like we want the mercy of the court when it's us, but we want the book thrown when it's them. And so that leads us into the last one that we talked about last week, which is the law of forgiveness. If you are going to do life with people, you have to be a good forgiver. If you are going to do life with people, you have to be a good forgiver because people blow it and people blow it intentionally and people blow it unintentionally. And here's the problem that when you get into relationships with people, you don't know what baggage they're bringing with them. You, you don't know how they were raised. You don't know what happened to them. You don't know how they see life. And so if you are expecting, my grandmother used to say this to me all the time. She used to say, stop expecting people who haven't been raised like you to think like you. That's true. That's true. She said you would, you would not be so frustrated with people if you didn't expect people who weren't raised like you to be like you. Here's a great example. When we first, you know, I lived in a house where, like, my grandma, like, always had snacks and gave away all the snacks to whoever came over, right? My grandmother was never like there wasn't enough. And my grandma was the type of person that we was only one Snicker bar and it was five kids. You was either going to divide it or you weren't going to open it, right? Well, when I first was in Edwin's family, they weren't like that. Mm. Like, like, if it was six kids and they had two kids, they would take their snacks to the back room. And I just, like, that just would, I was like, what kind of? You don't get none of this. I was like. This is my snickle ball. And I was like, what kind of horrible people don't share the fruit snacks with all of the kids, right? And my grandmother, she was just like, everybody wasn't raised like you. It makes sense to share because that's what you grew up with. But if people didn't grow up with that, 
And so then it was really cool because then I said something to Edwin about it, and then we started being intentional about bringing snacks from everybody. And when we started bringing snacks for everybody, then other people started bringing snacks for everybody, but not everybody because that's not always how it works. But we still kept bringing snacks for everybody. Like, you got to understand that, like, people bring to life what they have. People bring to life what they have. You know, if you come over our house and we got food, we get food for everybody. But I had friends growing up that if they if it was dinner time, they like, you gotta go. Cause you can't have none of this chicken. You can't have none. We don't have you no chicken have none for you. Stove right. You cannot have this stove top stuffing. <laughs> right. And so sometimes you're mad at people and you're offended with people because you're expecting them to measure life the way you measure life. Huh? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's just, it's just that whole idea that, that you people bring to life their experiences. And so when we got married and we, we bought our first house, I was excited because I was excited about selling it so we could move to the next house. And <laughs> Pastor Sean was like, what do you mean? This is our house. This is where we're going to live. <laughs> well, because man. she grew up in the house she grew up in. We moved. And so it was one of those things where we, we had to go, now, wait a minute, because... This can't be the forever house. It ain't even got no pool. I mean, so, <laughs> so, so we had to work through that, you know, because the people bring to the table their wins. That's and it's funny because, so we did move to another house. But even still now, he would have moved from that house like 27 times if I was, and I'm just like, my kids have to grow up here. You can't keep moving my kids, right? So we actually were going to buy another house. Are you, I knew you was waiting to tell this story. <laughs> Everybody we were, love this store. We were ready to buy another house. We had found a perfect house. It, was the, it literally, for us, was the perfect house. It was on, the, the address was Champions Drive. That, how perfect is that? We, yes, we got ready to move. We, had, we, we, we got our house ready and put on the market. People was calling, and Canaan said to Shun, she said, Mama, when we I'm probably going to cry now. <laughs> she said, Mom, when we move, they're going to take <laughs> She said, they're going to paint over all of the marks by the door where we've grown up. I was like, we ain't moving. <laughs> I ain't leaving. She said, call, she said, call Clayton, tell him we're not moving. I, I said, what? She said, I ain't selling my house, Strick. <laughs> That's why we say you want to be right or you want to be happy. It was the right house, but she wasn't going to be happy. So, so Edwin had a meeting with the kids and said, look, your mama's not about to leave the house. You need to let it go. You need to move on. And, and like, what about the pool, daddy? I said, forget about the pool. Just forget about it. Go swim in the tub. Ain't going to be no pool. Like, quit talking to me about moving. Your mama didn't say no. <laughs> and so um, we're eventually going to move, but they, we're, we're eventually going to get there. But like one of the things was like really owning, like they had to be really tolerant of me for that because staying in the house to me meant something very different than it meant to him. He moved a lot. My grandmama had the same phone number till she died. Like, I mean, this idea of like your stuff not being your, I, I, like it, it, like I, but they have to be gracious to me in that space, right? And then my job is to like unattach 
from the house. And it's taken me some time, but eventually we'll move and they'll get a pool or we'll put a pool in the backyard. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> How slow we be sliding down. <laughs> that, come on, T. They can level it out. They can level it out. Sit down, Tamara. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, you know, I do think, like, for me, that was a forgiveness thing because I really felt like he was trying to take my house from me. Well, you said it. I did. I said it. I said, you're trying to take my house from me where I raised my babies? Like, it was big for me. And the thing is, is that sometimes in a relationship, you don't know how big something is until it happens. Mm -hmm. Like, I was cool. When we was walking through the house, I was cool. I was like, yes, this house is dope. We did all this stuff. And then Kana said, they're going to paint this thing. And I was like, nope, I'm not leaving. I don't care what y'all do. We can cut that out, though. <laughs> Take it. I'm like, so, and then, so I think that they also had to do some forgiveness toward me because I stopped them from their dream house. <laughs> and as you can see in our family, everybody's really honest about what. So we had to have a lot of conversations about that house. And, and some people were more gracious, like Taylor was more gracious. As soon as Taylor found out why I didn't want to move, she just rubbed my back and said, we ain't moving. Tamara was gracious. Chris was like, let it go, mom. Chase and Kayla was like, I don't understand. Jordan was like, I didn't want to leave my room anyway. I was like, all right, all right. All right. right. See, Jordan don't want to leave. But Jordan just wanted a room to be by herself. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying to you that those are the kind of things that can make people get divorced. But, like, we're not going to fall out about that. That's right. we, we're not going to fall out about that. And if you're not a good forgiver, you will fall out with people you are supposed to do That's life with. That's right. It ain't a house in the world. If, if he say... Don't try to say it because I know you don't mean it. But if he's like, I hate this house, I can't live here anymore, then I'm going to let this house go because being with him is more important than this house. You didn't know you should have said that. It's too late. I already know you don't hate it. <laughs> um, but I'm saying it. But, like, you got to learn how to do life with people. And that's why the forgiveness exercise is so powerful, the exercise that we did last week. We're going to do it again this week. That's how we're going to wrap up because some people who were in children's church specifically asked to do the exercise again. For those of you who don't have nothing else to forgive, you good. You can just stand and pray but still practice it. So we're going to do it again for those people, and that's how we're going to wrap it up today. You can give your offering. After you give your offering, because we're not going to do an offering teaching this morning, after we do the forgiveness exercise, they're going to come so we can do the offering, and then we're going to have some people who can pray for you today. Who we're going to have pray today is Tamara and Santresa. So if you need prayer, Tamara and Santresa will be up there. Some of you may ask, okay, how do I get to be a person who can pray for people after church? Well, you need to come and pray for me because I need to know that you can actually pray because you can't be up here praying for the people saying a bunch of stuff we don't say. So, but if you like, I would like to pray for people at the church, then come and see me or Kristen, and then you can be in the rotation of people who pray. So today it'll be Tamara and it'll be Santresa. But before that, we're going to do the forgiveness exercise. We're going to do it just like we did it last week. Here's the question I'm going to ask. When I ask the question, you know what you're supposed to do. I'm going to ask you if there's anybody that you need to forgive. Whoever comes to mind, if anybody comes to mind, if 37 people come to mind, you need to stand up so we can do the exercise. Do you need to forgive anybody? Stand. If you do, it's you. Yeah. 
And it's okay because this is such a good healing exercise. And I love it when everybody in the room isn't standing. Okay, guys who are sitting, turn around and look and see that there are people who are standing. So go find someone who's standing so they can do it with somebody who doesn't need to practice forgiveness. And let me tell you this, and this is the honest truth. We talked about this at dinner last Sunday. When, when some people feel like, well, I did the exercise one time, that should be enough. I literally, and I know the person's name, I had to do this exercise 10 times before I was able to let what I had for them go. The first time, I was like, I'm going to do this, but it, oh. And the second time, third time, I forgave portions of what they did, you know, and it went on and on. And literally, I mean, I, I remember, this is going to sound funny, the 10th time, I, I knew it worked because I didn't refer to her as heifer no more. <laughs> Well, that's just the truth. I, I, when, I, when I said her name, I didn't say her name. I didn't say her name, Heifer. I didn't say it no more. And I was like, okay, it's gone. But it took me 10 times to get there. So don't be a person who, like, well, I asked him, I, have to, I did this the last time we did this, and I should be okay. Until you are okay, you ought to do it every time. And the thing of it is, is that somebody asked me about this, so I do want to say this. If you have, you know, if you have people who you have relationships with that you got to have those relationships mama, daddy, somebody like that that you encounter, whatever the case may be, right? You may actually do the forgiveness exercise this week and they do something next week and you need to do it again because those people don't go away. You got, you know, mixed um, um, step families, blended families, different things where injuries and all this stuff is going on. So let this be a practical part, a practical therapy that you can do any time that you need it. And one of the things that um, um, I actually heard, had a barber say this one day, he was saying that if he has an interaction with a client and he thinks about that, he replays that interaction more than three times before the day's over, he knows he has an unresolved issue. Pay attention to the stuff that you're replaying because you're replaying it because it's unresolved. Even if you say, I even if you say, because one of the mistakes that people do is that they go, I'm cool. But here's what I'm cool can mean. I'm cool can mean I have built up so many walls that you can't hurt me no more. It don't necessarily mean I'm cool. Because then, it, because then what happens is, is that then as soon as somebody shows up that look like, move like, do like that person, now you're triggered. Right. So you really don't want to you don't want to be cool like I got all this stuff behind all these walls, because here's the problem with building walls, guys. Yeah, walls keep bad people out, but they keep good people out. They keep good people from coming in and then you'll mess around and be in a room with people who want to love on you and you can't even let them love you because you got twenty seven thousand walls built up to protect yourself. So the people who are standing have said, I need to exercise forgiveness to somebody, right? And then so you need the people who are sitting, find somebody who's standing and go and stand in front of them and do the exercise with them. So everybody should have somebody because this morning we shouldn't have to do it. But one time, People who are sitting need to go to somebody who's standing. And it's not a hard exercise. You ain't got to lay hands on nobody. You just... Does anybody need anybody? If you need somebody, lift your hand. If you need somebody... Um, Sister Reynolds, behind you, there's a young lady who needs somebody to do the exercise with. If somebody, you need somebody to do the exercise with. 
Guys, this is free therapy. I'm telling you, this free therapy right here. Ask the professionals. They charge for these exercises. We do it for free up in here. All right, so the person who you went to who's standing, who needs to forgive somebody, and for those of you who, um, who didn't stand, just pray for the people who's standing. Just pray. You can just pray for them. All right, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to imagine that the person that is standing in front of you, they represent the person that you want to forgive today. So you have this person that you want to forgive, and they represent them. You're not going to hit them, push them down, kick them. You're just going to let them stand in proxy. So now do you have the person in front of you? You're going to act like the person in front of you is that person. You're going to call them by name. So call them by name. Yes. Say, I choose to forgive you. Whether you hurt me intentionally or not. Today I release you. And I believe that what I make happen for others, God makes happen for me. So right now, in releasing you, I am releasing myself. Say, I declare that I am free from all of the injury that you have caused me. I am free to love again. I am free to heal. I am free to enter into a season of wholeness. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to cause me to be who I was created to be before this injury occurred. Today is the first day of my restored life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him a hug.